Welcome to Pipeline, Profiles in Philosophy and Education. I'm your host, Winston C. Thompson. Pipeline is a monthly short-form interview program focused on contemporary scholars. For more information and to subscribe to the podcast, please visit pipeline.fm. Pipeline is made possible by the generous support of the Education Department of the University of New Hampshire. This episode, we're joined by Ben Kotze, University of Birmingham. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. So um, our listeners are quite interested in your origins in philosophical work in education. Can you just give us a sense of how you got started doing this work? Well, thanks. Yes, um, uh, I came originally from the field of philosophy. I studied uh, philosophy at Stellenbosch University in South Africa mm-hmm. and at the Catholic University of Leuven in Belgium. Yes. Um, at the time, I was studying quite a lot of con- continental philosophy, okay. <laughs> surprisingly, okay, I suppose. Um, but I guess I was always uh, drawn to the more Anglo-American style of thought. And um, as an undergraduate, I uh, uh, read quite a lot of the empiricists, Locke okay. and Hume, for instance. Okay. Um, so my undergraduate education in philosophy, I suppose, was a fairly standard and actually fairly broad one, Mm. taking in analytic and continental perspectives. Um, And then I went to do a PhD at King's College London. There I worked on uh, philosophy of language and philosophy of mind, um, reading especially the work of uh, Donald Davidson, um, and getting quite interested in the later Wittgenstein as well. Uh, So at the time, I saw myself as... A philosopher of mind and sure. language trying to make sense of how what the possibility conditions for thought and speech are and I quickly became interested in developmental arguments about this um, Wittgenstein and Davidson write quite a lot about how a person can learn to speak Um, And both of them make social arguments about this. So I quickly started thinking about learning a language and learning to think. And I ended up in my uh, thesis making a a lot of developmental arguments. So I think at that time, without knowing it, um, during the course of my PhD, I was starting to do some work that you could call philosophy of education, or at the very, very least, philosophy of learning. It's so interesting. So, so what I'm hearing from you is, of course, first then this interest in philosophy uh, as, a, as a discipline, uh, asking particular questions about um, sort of uh, mind and, and, and language and so forth, right. and then becoming interested in how uh, one sort of develops uh, in these areas. So this sort of developmental uh, focus, this developmental orientation then uh, took you into education. So it wasn't the case that you were interested in, uh, say, schools and schooling sort of as institution, but more interested in this very, uh, in sort of the process if you will, uh, of development. Absolutely right. So I think what what I was always more interested in is the the individual student and the development of the mind of the individual student. So that made me think after my PhD about uh, um, development of rationality and critical thinking amongst adolescents. It's not that I don't find the school or the university an interesting institution. Mm. Um, I've spent my studying and working life solely in schools and universities and I find sure. them I find them interesting um, as a as a practitioner 
But I wasn't in the first instance fascinated, for instance, by what uh, um, how schools work as social institutions or what they do to children or something like that. Sure. And then to this day, I think I have a sort of a, a more individualistic focus. Sure. So, so, so extending uh, our, our investigation, if you will, or our exploration of that focus, could you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, how these interests of yours have then uh, populated the studies that you've that you've engaged? Uh, so this individualistic focus yes. um, uh, in, in in regard to learning and development. Could you Tell us a bit more. Um, after I completed my PhD, I went back to the University of Cape Town and I worked there on a project uh, on teaching critical thinking okay. in, a, in a university setting. Um, so I suppose that from the, that was the moment that I started bringing these two kinds of interests, the interest in the university as an institution and, and the interest, the sort of more individualistic focus of my own work yeah. together, asking how universities help and, and sometimes fail to help students to develop into the kinds of thinkers that we, uh, that we want them to be. Okay. I think I discovered mainly during that time that uh, um, the teaching of logic... <laughs> Sure. Uh, formal or informal logic um, has its limitations in how far it can bring students to good thinking. Hmm. I think we know very, very well how to um, teach logic as a university subject, hmm. but what many university teachers find is that um, students don't take to heart the lessons that they learn in logic. They don't begin to apply these good thinking skills that we think we are teaching them in their other classes or in or in their life outside of the uh, outside of the classroom altogether. It's as if yeah. students have the skills without having the inclination to uh, change the way they think. And I remain interested in that. I remain interested in um, how we can motivate students to be good thinkers, not just uh, teaching them the rules of logic sure. or what inferences they should be making, but, sure. but, but actually encouraging to, them to think deeply and creatively and critically about the world. And I still work on that until today. So it sounds as though in that account, um, there's so uh, on the one hand, there's just sort of the the technique of 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 of, of thinking, right? Yes. Sort of uh, 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 logic, as you mentioned, yes. right? Has some there are some rules, there are some uh, procedures, and so forth, so on and so forth. Um, but it sounds as though you're suggesting that uh, uh, we need more than that to have good thinkers. Now, can you describe what you might mean here by a good thinker? What does it mean to be a good thinker uh, if it's not just knowing the rules of the game, as it were? Yes, quite quite right. Uh, um, over the last uh, three, four, five years, I suppose, I've become a lot more interested than I used to be in the intellectual virtues, yeah. in to what good intellectual character is. Hmm. Um, the uh, we regularly say things about our students when we teach them that we want them to be uh, critical, mm. uh, we want them to be curious, uh, we want them to be fair-minded, mm. we want them to be uh, rigorous in their thinking or scholarly in their thinking. Sure. When we talk like that, we describe the kind of person that we want someone to be as a thinker. Right. We don't necessarily, when, when we say... I wish I could make my students more curious or I think I am making my students more rigorous mm. in their thinking. One doesn't describe at all a content one mm. doesn't that one wants them to think about. Right. Uh, um, it's not in the first instance about specific knowledge that one wants a person to have. It's more about um, uh, how they are 
to be as a um, as a thinker. Yeah. And I've begun to uh, think that the the solution to this problem of the of the transfer of critical thinking out of the logic classroom and into the student's life. Um, we're going to crack this problem if we can understand a little bit more about what intellectual virtue is um, yeah. and how one can inculcate intellectual virtue in, in students. And could you, could you tell us a little bit more about, about this uh, idea right, of intellectual virtue? So I think uh, many of our listeners might uh, be familiar with thinking about virtue sort of in the moral sense, right? Uh, 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 that's perhaps a more common usage, but intellectual virtue, what might that uh, entail? And uh, you've given some examples, but uh, I wonder yeah. if there might be... Yeah. So uh, um, we owe the distinction between intellectual and moral virtue to Aristotle. Aristotle thought yeah. that our uh, um, character comes in two flavors almost. Right. We, uh, he uh, thought that the, the human being has a rational part to their soul. That's the, that's the part that does the thinking. And then yeah. they have a, a more emotional side to their soul that we... Uh, I suppose would, or that, that he did um, call the moral part. And yeah. Aristotle had some very, very interesting uh, ideas about this. Aristotle thought that the rational part of the soul is the part that educators work with. Mm. Um, we try to, when we try students to think better, uh, we are trying to improve this rational part of the soul. And Aristotle thought that, that education is effective like this. Uh, we can educate the thinking abilities, the rational part of the soul. But he thought that the moral part of the soul is mm. formed through habit. Yeah. Um, and actually that the moral part of the soul is, is formed quite early in a child's life, earlier than, earlier than we would think now. So we're sitting here at a, at a conference at which we discussed uh, moral education just over sure. the last uh, three or four days. And, and I, in my own session, I brought what I think is a, an uncomfortable and un, an unpopular message mm. uh, to the audience. And that is that I think that the whole field of moral education has forgotten a tiny little bit about the intellectual virtues. I see. About, and about the fact that education in, in, in Aristotle's way of thinking and, and education in the practice of it in schools and, and universities uh, is a lot about forming the intellect mm. um, uh, rather than about moral habits. Now, I don't think mm. my audience um, uh, necessarily received the, the message particularly well, but the uh, the challenge is, is also one for moral educators. Sure. What, what does the moral educator think they are doing by forming a person's moral character? Are they sure predestining their behavior in a certain way are mm. they are they uh, changing behavior are they changing emotions are they changing sentiments or is the job of the moral educator to bring a child to think about morality yeah. and to subject their moral behavior to uh, thinking process, and so it might be the case that there are particular ways of thinking that are just sort of general, gen generally speaking, good ways of uh, of thinking. Right? We mentioned earlier sort of the good thinker, but then perhaps the good moral thinker uh, uh, has some additional, uh, uh, if you will, um, uh, uh, characteristics and traits and so on and so forth. And it might be that that the uh, the moral educator is is sort of after uh, in uh, inculcating in students. Completely yeah. right. I think that the the intellectualist moral educator, yeah, the, right. the moral educator who um, takes seriously improving the mind as part of their moral project, yeah. I think that kind of educator will want to focus on um, 
ethical deliberation in sure. particular. Um, yeah. How does one see what the morally important situations, right. uh, features of a situation are? Uh, how does one think about them? What kind of evidence does one gather? What kind of uh, uh, procedures does one step through in, in evaluating evidence and connecting it to the situation? Right. And how then does one uh, work out how to act in a morally loaded situation. Terrific. That makes that makes that makes full sense. I mean, so 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 alongside those ideas, uh, and it, it seems that you know you've got these interests in in, in development uh, uh, of the individual. Um, alongside those ideas, are there any other ways in which you've been thinking about how the individual develops alongside these sort of uh, 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 epistemological uh, 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 sort of uh, accounts about virtue? The the great. Uh, puzzle for me, and I have absolutely no answer about this as yet, is what is the uh, relationship between the moral thinking that I was talking about yeah. a, uh, a little while ago and the person's all-round intellectual development. Yeah, Plato, I think, would have said that the good thinker is going to be a moral person as well. Sure. In fact, it would be the quality of their thought that right. brings them to become a better person. That's right. Um, and um, I don't think culturally we accept mm. that idea anymore. Interesting. I think a lot of people point very often at um, exemplars of good thinking or morally bad human beings sure. and vice versa sure. point at uh, uh, some human beings who are paragons of moral virtue but don't necessarily have book learning or, sure. or aren't even what we would call particularly uh, uh, wonderful thinkers. We don't accept that in our culture anymore. Um, interesting. But I, uh, uh, I haven't quite given up on the idea. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that there is a link between the two because I think fundamentally I'm a, uh, someone who still believes in, in, the, in the value of the enlightenment and the, enlightenment and the value of the, of the modern. I, I still believe uh, that by thinking we can overcome social problems and make moral Progress. So, uh, and, and that that is also a view that I share. So, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm encouraged. And it's, it's heartening to hear that uh, mm. you're pursuing that uh, that project in your work. I, su I suspect, though, that uh, one of the frustrations with a project like that is that so much of the uh, intentional activity uh, regarding development of persons, so much of the uh, uh, intentional activity uh, uh, in schools and universities, tends to be about preparing uh, persons for work. Right? Uh, 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 the preparation for uh, career or profession, uh, and I wonder if that if there might be any links there or uh, 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 complicating factors uh, that might uh, sort of speak to some of your interests. Um, well, the, I mean, the main shining complicating factor um, is exactly what you said that the education system is subordinated today yeah. to the demands of the workplace. Yeah. Now, I uh, think work is an extremely important part of the human condition and it's an extremely important part of our economy and society. Sure. I'm not uh, 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 snobbish about that at all. In fact, I admire anyone who does good work in whatever they do in their life. But I see in my own students that, that sometimes it seems that they have absorbed such an instrumental attitude to the oh, value of study from the time that they were in school and that they bring that into university. Uh, the idea that um, an educational qualification that one receives, especially a university degree, mm. is a sort of a ticket that one takes onto the job market. Sure, yeah. And I really experience that as interfering with my teaching of students, that students seem to be a little bit more after 
uh, getting a piece of paper yeah, that the they can take the yeah. credential that they can take into the workplace rather yeah. than uh, than in the content of the education they receive. And I, I want to speak to you a bit more about it, but I, yeah. but you know there's the old joke. Uh, we're sitting here at Harvard University, sure. and the question has been asked. Uh, um, Imagine a fictitious student that you yeah. make this offer. Uh, I will, shall either give you a degree from Harvard University, but you cannot attend here for four years, sure. and you cannot learn anything here, or I shall allow you to attend here for four years yeah. and take any class you want, but I won't give you a degree at the end of the day. Such a such an interesting uh, interesting question, uh, uh, and it's interesting to see how many people would respond. Right? Yes. Uh, I, d I have no experience asking this question sure. except to a few people, <laughs> sure. but uh, uh, students are genuinely torn sure. over the value of the degree sure. compared to the value of what they learn while they are here at sure. university. And that, that to me is, um, seems a sad thing. Sure. No, definitely. Especially if, uh, 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 as you've said, right, learning can uh, lead to the sort of uh, the, the transformation or at least the, the, the development of the person uh, as a moral actor. Um, I wonder if uh, you might... Uh, have any sense of uh, sort of given some of the, the questions that we've been uh, considering now, if you might have some sense of uh, uh, what questions perhaps lay on the horizon for the field uh, in regards to your own work or uh, uh, perhaps uh, uh, questions that are uh, adjacent to some of the things that we've been discussing. One thing that I've been thinking about um, is the role that assessment plays mm. in setting up this problem that we've been discussing of Yeah. a little while ago um, I think our field is, has almost forgotten a little bit of the radicalism that some educational thinkers have had about assessment 30 or 40 years ago sure um, in some senses our grading practices lie at the heart of the problem mm. and I wish we could rekindle an enthusiasm for some other some alternative ways of assessing people mm. um, that we have that we have lost mm. um, grading pass fail rather than on a scale sure. or using peer grading sure. or even using self grading sure, sure. Uh, or sometimes no grading at all yeah If we somehow got rid of grades and class standings and so on for, for at least part of, of education, mm. um, I think we might see a better atmosphere. So I, I'm looking forward to doing some, uh, some more philosophical work about, about what uh, assessment is and um, uh, uh, rethinking the fairness and the unfairness mm. and the um, efficiency and the uh, unworkability of, sure. of, of our assessment practices um, in the long run. Uh, that's one issue, but, yeah. but of course I continue but a quite working... quite good one, yeah. I continue working on the uh, intellectual virtues and, and how, one, how we can inculcate them. And the puzzles that uh, there are about some of the virtues that we would like to inculcate in our students. One a good example that I'm uh, working on right at the moment is the virtue of open-mindedness. Oh, sure. Everyone wants their students to be open-minded. Everyone wants sure. their neighbor to be open-minded and their friends and their fellow citizens. And very many people think that uh, open-mindedness uh, is something like being Uh, receptive mm. to ideas or being receptive to alternative perspectives yeah. 
But a, a, a problem that I've come across is that just making someone receptive to ideas or rendering someone such that they're willing to take on board ideas doesn't make them a better thinker all of itself. Once one has received very many ideas, it's also necessary to choose between the two of them. And I think that in in, uh, um, our culture, people have begun to find it difficult to reconcile Uh. the receptiveness of open-mindedness looking for a lot of new ideas and and hearing a lot of new ideas with that next step, uh, uh, evaluating different ideas uh, against one another and and choosing between them. So that that seems like a very important issue that that you've just identified there. I mean, the the, the notion that, um, uh, uh, of course, that not every idea uh, deserves sort of equal standing, right, Uh, uh, in this uh, sort of uh, marketplace of ideas, right? right. I mean, uh, in some ways, uh, we might look to sort of um, uh, politics, uh, uh, the media, journalism, and so forth, uh, noting that uh, uh, it does seem to be the case that uh, remaining open, uh, being open-minded, uh, does seem to suggest that we take on all ideas in a very uh, sort of in a way that seems to lack a certain degree of uh, criticality. Uh, that's that's quite yeah. right, and and um, I'm also very very interested in how we should conceive the education system mm. in the light of the metaphor that you started using yeah. a second ago the yeah. metaphor of the market yeah now i am Good. i'm sure that you uh, you intended the market square of course <laughs> rather than uh, the stock market of or, course, or of something course. like that but it, it 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 brings me to an interesting point about philosophy of education mm. as a discipline um, and the kind of person who thinks about yeah. education as, as part of their academic work. The marketplace of ideas uh, suggests that education operates in a essentially democratic realm yeah. and that the point of education is offering children ideas and offering uh, support for ideas so that children can take a stance on that mm. and so that they can begin to take part in politics. Yeah. So that, I think, that, that uh, conception of education as being part of the marketplace of ideas mm. um, is uh, an idea that comes most naturally to political philosophers yeah. or to people that first approached philosophy of education from political philosophy. Mm. There is another metaphor that I don't hear as often, and that is that the education system is part of the lab, that it's part of the scientific lab. Interesting, yes. And uh, um, that what the education system does is not offer a a menu of ideas in a Mm. kind of a political marketplace, but is what the education system should do is to offer to children those ideas that have uh, received the stamp of approval sure. of, of current science. Interesting, nice, yes. So according to these two metaphors, the uh, education as marketplace of ideas and education as a feeder into the lab, yeah. um, the first idea naturally sees the education system as uh, training future citizens. And mm. the second metaphor sees the education system as uh, developing little scientists. Sure. And um, those two metaphors, depending which one you pick, sure. structures differently the way that you should think about the intellectual virtues that we are trying to encourage in children. Yeah. 
Um, according to the first one, the virtues that we want to develop in citizens are firstly the uh, civic kind of virtues of mm. hearing other ideas, respecting sure. other ideas, uh, striving for consensus in how one begins to understand someone else in the marketplace. Mm. According to the second metaphor, the kind of intellectual virtue that we want to inculcate in children is accuracy in investigating the yeah. world, rigor in analyzing what they have found out, yes. and eventually convincing other scientists that one has had the right idea. Um, and uh, uh, this is an, an interesting uh, conflict, I think, um, in the philosophy of education between people who see yeah. uh, the aims of education as more political mm. um, and those who see the aims of education as more scientific. Oh, that's, I think that's very interesting. And it suggests that if there was uh, perhaps uh, more work done in that second category, uh, that we might begin to see uh, the work that we do uh, as academics uh, uh, being part of in some in some in some very real sense uh, of the work that gets done uh, sort of uh, uh, in the school, right? Uh, 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 the act of teaching, the act of educating, uh, being sort of uh, uh, contiguous with the very act of research, uh, uh, the act of sort of uh, participating in the construction of knowledge as a lifelong pursuit. That's quite yeah. right, and I think the uh, um, uh, philosophers of education who've done most to work on that second idea are, for instance, Hurst and Peters um, and uh, Scheffler here in the United States. Sure. But that uh, strong scientific focus uh, on the content of the curriculum has fallen out of favor a little sure. bit in our subject sure. and I think has become replaced recently with more of a political focus. I don't think that that is uh, um, uh, uh, all bad at all, of course. Um, but uh, I am interested in my own work to return a little bit to the uh, to curriculum thinkers like um, Hurst and Peters and to offer new arguments for uh, education's place as a scientific feeder um, in, in addition to its, its place as, a, as an incubator for citizens. And I could imagine uh, uh, graduate students who are just finding their way to philosophy of education uh, might do well to consider uh, that approach uh, as a, a generative uh, space in which to do some quite good work. Ben, thank you so much for uh, chatting with us. This has been a real treat. Thank you for having me. Thanks. For more information and to review previous episodes, please visit www.pipeline.fm. A very special thanks to Moby for use of his song Summer as our theme.